Between his teeth, he turned back to the room and scanned the faces once again. Nobody seemed remotely affected by his presence. This suited him. He seated himself in the only available armchair, lit his cigar, and settled back with the private sigh of a man who feels his daily comforts are, for once, very much deserved. His contentment was short-lived. No sooner had he stretched out his legs and crossed his ankles, the salt on his trousers had dried most provokingly in tides of white, than the man on his immediate right leant forward in his chair, prodded the air with the stump of his own cigar, and said, Look here! You've business here at the Crown! This was rather abruptly phrased, but Moody's expression did not register as much. He bowed his head politely and explained that he had indeed secured a room upstairs, having arrived in town that very evening. Just off the boat, you mean? Moody bowed again and affirmed that this was precisely his meaning. So that the man would not think him short, he added that he was come from Port Chalmers, with the intention of trying his hand at digging for gold. That's good the man said. That's good. New finds up the beach. She's ripe with it. Black sands. That's the cry you'll be hearing. Black sands up Charleston way. That's north of here, of course, Charleston. Though you'll still make pay in the gorge. You got a mate, or come over solo? Just me alone, Moody said. No affiliations, the man said. Well, Moody said, Surprised again at his phrasing. I intend to make my own fortune, that's all. No affiliations, the man repeated. And no business. You've no business here at the Crown. This was impertinent, to demand the same information twice. But the man seemed genial, even distracted, and he was strumming with his fingers at the lapel of his vest. Perhaps, Moody thought, he had simply not been clear enough. He said, My business at this hotel is only to rest. In the next few days I will make inquiries around the diggings. Which rivers are yielding, which valleys are dry, and acquaint myself with the digger's life, as it were. I intend to stay here at the Crown for one week, and after that to make my passage inland. You've not dug before, then? No, sir. Never seen the colour? Only at the jewellers. On a watch, or on a buckle. Never pure. But you've dreamt it, pure. You've dreamt it. Kneeling in the water, sifting the metal from the grit. I suppose. Well, no, I haven't exactly, Moody said. The expansive style of this man's speech was rather peculiar to him. For all the man's apparent distraction, he spoke eagerly, and with an energy that was almost importunate. Moody looked around, hoping to exchange a sympathetic glance with one of the others, but he failed to catch anybody's eye. He coughed, adding, I suppose I've dreamt of what comes afterwards. That is, what the gold might lead to, what it might become. The man seemed pleased by this answer. Reverse alchemy is what I like to call it, he said. The whole business, I mean, prospecting. Reverse alchemy. Do you see, the transformation, not into gold, but out of it. It is a fine conceit, sir. 
reflecting only much later that this notion chimed very nearly with his own recent fancy of a pantheon reversed. And your inquiries, the man said, nodding vigorously. Your inquiries. You'll be asking around, I suppose. What shovels, what cradles, and maps and things. Yes, precisely. I mean to do it right. The man threw himself back into his armchair, evidently very amused. One week's board at the Crown Hotel, just to ask your questions. He gave a little shout of laughter. And then you'll spend two weeks in the mud to earn it back. <laughs> Moody recrossed his ankles. He was not in the right disposition to return the other man's energy, but he was too rigidly bred to consider being impolite. He might have simply apologised for his discomfiture and admitted some kind of general malaise. The man seemed sympathetic enough with his strumming fingers and his rising gurgle of a laugh, but Moody was not in the habit of speaking candidly to strangers, and still less of confessing illness to another man. He shook himself internally and said, in a brighter tone of voice, "'And you, sir, you are well established here, I think.' "'Oh, yes,' replied the other. "'Balfour Shipping, you'll have seen us, right past the stockyards. Prime location. Wharf Street, you know. Balfour, that's me. Thomas is my Christian name.' You'll need one of those on the diggings. No man goes by Mr. in the gorge. Then I must practice using mine, Moody said. It is Walter. Walter Moody. Yes, and they'll call you anything but Walter, too, Balfour said, striking his knee. Scottish Walt, maybe? Two-hand Walt, maybe? Wally Nugget! <laughs> that name I shall have to earn. Balfour laughed. No earning about it, he said. Big as a lady's pistol, some of the ones I've seen. Big as a lady's... <coughs> but I'm telling you, not half as hard to put your hands on. Thomas Balfour was around fifty in age, compact and robust in body. His hair was quite grey, combed backwards from his forehead, and long about the ears. He wore a spade beard, and was given to stroking it downward with the cup of his hand when he was amused... He did this now in pleasure at his own joke. His prosperity sat easily with him, Moody thought, recognising in the man that relaxed sense of entitlement that comes when a lifelong optimism has been ratified by success. He was in shirt-sleeves. His cravat, though of silk and finely wrought, was spotted with gravy and coming loose at the neck. Moody placed him as a libertarian, harmless, renegade in spirit, and cheerful in his effusions. "'I am in your debt, sir,' he said. "'This is the first of many customs, of which I will be entirely ignorant, I am sure. I would have certainly made the error of using a surname in the gorge.' It was true that his mental conception of the New Zealand diggings was extremely imprecise, informed chiefly by sketches of the California goldfields. Log cabins, flat-bottomed valleys, wagons in the dust— and a dim sense, he did not know from where, that the colony was somehow the shadow of the British Isles, the unformed, savage obverse of the Empire's seat and heart. He had been surprised, upon rounding the heads of the Otago Peninsula some two weeks prior, to see mansions on the hill, quays, streets, and plotted gardens, and he was surprised now to observe a well-dressed gentleman passing his lucifers to a Chinaman, 
and then leaning across him to retrieve his glass. Moody was a Cambridge fellow, born in Edinburgh to a modest 